But often journeying together through series, we build layer on layer. So for the next, um, I think it's nine weeks or so, we are going to be going through the series called Death for Life. Can you say Death for Life? life. Creativity is not my best best point, but the graphics are amazing. Uh, Mike Luard did the graphics. Great job, Mike, as always. Thank you. And what this series is, is it's based along some pastoral letters that a pastor wrote to real people going through real life situations in their congregation. And having met with them and spoken to them, he writes these letters to them to help them delve into how the gospel of Jesus brings about a real effect in their in their lives, how the death of Jesus brings life. And when we're going we're gonna to focus on the cross, okay, these next X weeks. Um, but when we speak about the cross of Jesus, it's inseparable from his resurrection because the life and death and resurrection of Jesus are one thing. But the cross is obviously a very visual point at which a lot happened. And the reason we're doing this series, I want to give you three main reasons. The first is, I was going to call it a cultural moment, but there's nothing new under the sun. I don't know if you've ever felt Christianity is being assaulted, left, right and center. Some of our beliefs and values, I, there's nothing new under the sun. It's always been assaulted. There's always been a, a great war going on between uh, good and evil, if you like. And so some of the challenges we're facing might have unique expressions in our days, but they've always been there. And guess what? The truth of God has always stood through the ages. And we might feel... Things are dwindling in the West. I don't think so. Praise God. Look around in the room. But the global South and the global East, Christianity is booming. The church is growing. Iran, it's amazing what's happening there. The underground church in China. So don't be duped (laughs) that God's taking a back seat. Um, There is a battle going on, but the cross of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the life of God is still abundant. But the doctrine of atonement, can you say atonement? Atonement. Really, which is what Jesus accomplished on the cross, uh, in many circles has been brought into question. I mean, isn't the cross all about a, a God of anger and wrath? And isn't that the Old Testament God? Isn't the New Testament just about love, and we don't really don't need the we really don't need the the cross. Isn't it just a symbol of shame and of ugliness? Why do why do we need to pay attention to the cross? I mean, it's irrelevant. I don't know if you've heard people say this. Maybe it's just a fashion item that we put on. After all, God is love, and that's said very lightly. Yes, God is love, but as we will see. The cross demonstrates that God is love. Another reason to focus on the cross is a question for you. So I want you to think about how you'll answer this. So if you're a Christian and someone asks you, what happened at the cross? What would you say? Think about it. Maybe scribble it down in your little book. Um, You don't have to. Um, What would you say? What did Jesus accomplish at the cross? Now, the, those who are theologians and love kind of working things out, you've, you've, you've listed 10 points already, quoted John Stott's The Cross of Christ chapters, or John Piper's 50 Thesis, or some, some blow. Others of us, and understandably, it's not wrong, our answers can be quite general. True, powerful, wonderful, Jesus forgave my sins at the cross. Hallelujah. Jesus took my penalty at the cross. Jesus made a way for me to get to heaven. All of those things, there would be truth in them. But there is so much more depth and weight to the cross. And often as Christians, we can suddenly think the cross and Easter is where we become a Christian. And then we've got to move on from that for the rest of life. You know, there's, there's more things. There's a lot more things. Wonderful. But if you ever think you move on 
from the centrality of the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've missed something. So it's not just the diving board and then you swim into the life of God, as uh, J.D. Greer puts it. It is the whole swimming pool. It's the diving board, the swimming pool. The gospel of Jesus particularly focused on the cross and the resurrection of Christ is the gospel. It's the place where we dwell and we make much of. We make much of Jesus in those songs. We're not just the people who look back with nostalgia of something that happened in the past. It's powerful. It's effective. It's efficacious. Is that a word? That's the right word? Today, it's effective. It produces something in that. And if you're thinking, oh, I just feel dead and welcome to what we feel sometimes. <laughs> but when you meditate on the cross of Jesus, it brings life to you. But I want you to go back to that question. How would you answer that question? We're going to spend nine weeks equipping you how to answer that question, depending on who asks you. <laughs> you might want to give a simpler answer. But other than cultural around us and sometimes are oh, missing out on the wonder of the cross, actually, probably the most important reason is that the cross is the power. Can you say power? power. And wisdom. Wisdom of God. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 22, for the Jews demanded signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. We preach it week in, week out. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Who in the room once thought the cross of Jesus was folly? It was foolishness. That's me. Before I got saved, I think, makes sense. This guy who died, and how can God die? It's just ridiculous. You're talking about this dead guy. No. It's a stumbling block. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hallelujah. So I want to pray because maybe for some in the room, you think this is foolishness. And we want to introduce you to Jesus this morning so that you come to know the power and the wisdom of God. If you're a Christian, just want you to glorify Jesus all the more. And no greater depths of freedom. So Jesus, come and help us see the wonder and the power and the wisdom of God in the cross, in the symbol of shame, the symbol of death for some, the symbol of loss, symbol of defeat for some. Help us to see the wisdom and the power of God in the cross of Jesus. Amen. Oh man, so we're going to be unpacking key truths. I mean, the, the cross is a bit, like a bit like a diamond. You know, a diamond is one thing, but it's multifaceted. It's got beautiful shapes and reflections to it. And that's what the cross is like. And so we're going to spend nine weeks looking at the diamond that is the cross. Because in the cross, as, the, as many think, it rejects the love of God. Actually, in the cross, we see the love of God revealed. That is, and, and more than maybe anywhere else in Scripture. Now, I'll be careful and put all my caveats now. Uh, there's lots of other things that demonstrate God and who He is, and you need the Holy Spirit in your hearts, and He can do it apart from you ever reading anything, apart from you ever seeing anything, apart from you ever hearing anything, as is happening in many parts of the Muslim world. Jesus is appearing to people. In Ramadan, many people are seeking God now, earnestly. Some because it's a religious habit. Some because it's what their families do. Others deeply seeking God now. Pray for your Muslim friends. They're seeking God. Ask God that he would show them Isa, show them Jesus. 
It reveals the love of God. So some of the titles we're going to look at. We're going to this week look at how Jesus is my. Can you say Jesus is my? Because we're, we're very good in church, aren't we? Thinking the preachers for the person next to us. Hey? And as preachers, we think it's for you. Uh, it's for me as well. He's my revelation, my example, my cleanser, my redemption, my wrath bearer, my righteousness, my ransom, my reconciliation. And he is the victor. So that's what we're going to be unpacking in the weeks to come. Christian flourishing, growing into the fullness of life, requires at the heart of it, in fact, flows from a rigorous theology of the cross that is practically applied. (laughs) How does this affect my life today? My struggle, my addiction, my insecurity, my fear, my worry, my shame that I carry. How does the cross of Christ affect me? So that's what we are going to be looking at. And the way we'll go about it... um, that we will share you a real life story or a story that brings together a few aspects of a life and then apply the gospel to that particular challenge. So today I want to talk about how Jesus is my revelation. Can you say revelation? revelation. How he reveals God. And I want to introduce you to Susan. Susan is a 20-something petite brunette with a big smile, working a job while finishing up a college education. Her life story is fairly typical. She grew up in a nominally church-going family, but never really got much substantive teaching about God. She's always believed there is some sort of God, but has never been sure which religion understands what God is. She has not attended church as an adult, except for an occasional visit when invited by a friend. She has very little knowledge of the Bible, and is not for or against Christianity, as she is simply uncertain. Do you know people like that? Most people are less against Christianity than we think. They're just not really giving it much thought. I did a. I, I played for the hockey team in Colchester. We got promoted this season. Woo! Um, we should have. We got a goal difference of about 150 or something like that. So we were in the wrong league, but um, it was all good. And Ben Parker was top goal scorer. Where are you, Ben? Hey, hey there you go. Um, it's got nothing to do with the preach. Um, uh, well, it has a little bit. So I sent a message to my hockey team just saying, I would love to spend a bit more time hearing what non-Christians have against Christianity or their objections. Would you meet with me and go through a book? So we went through a book about objections to Christianity. Five guys said yes, and we met monthly and went through this book. Do you know what most of the time? We went through the objection in this book, and they said to me, well, if God's real, that's not an objection, is it? And I was like, oh, okay. I was expecting a little bit more than that. And most of them think, well, if God is real, that's not an objection. You know, there needs to be justice, there needs to be this, we understand that. But really what they needed was just to find out about God. They needed to meet God. They weren't really against it, a couple, but more, you know, on the same. But most are like, I'm just uncertain. More friends than we realize are uncertain. And their objections are more from things they've heard on the TV and seen on the news than they actually have. And many of us will have a similar story. Back to the... Back to the story. She's very little knowledge of the Bible. is not for or against Christianity as much as she is simply uncertain. Her curiosity about God has compelled her to start praying upon occasion to the God she does not know. Lots of people did that during the pandemic. Hoping that God will help her with her practical aspects of her life, such as finding a better job, deciding whether her boyfriend is husband material, and finishing her college education. When I first spoke with her, this is the pastor writing to her about God, Susan was refreshing, refreshingly honest. She did not pretend to be a Christian, but said that she is still trying to figure out what she thinks of Jesus. As is common, she said Jesus was a great man, but she is unconvinced that he is God, who died for our sins and rose for our salvation. 
She did say that she believes Jesus lived as a historical figure and that he died a bloody death on the cross. Very few would refute that. As our conversations continue, she changed the subject from that of the cross to understanding God. When I asked her why she kept changing the subject, she said that she did not want to talk about Jesus' death because she really wanted to figure out what God was like. I explained to her that she wanted something that could only be known through revelation. As we chatted, I outlined for her how religion and philosophy are based upon human speculations about God, which is not very trustworthy because in the end it is little more than a guess. However, revelation is an act by which God reveals himself to us in a way that we can understand. May you do that today, Lord. I further explained that perhaps the clearest revelation of God in all of history is the death of Jesus on the cross. So rather than looking at every religion and philosophical system, I encouraged her to examine the death of Jesus on the cross as the answer to her questions and the satisfactions to her longings to know God. We can so often think that when people ask about God. Let me not talk about the cross and the judgment and the wrath and the the death of Jesus. Let me talk to you about something else. And there's many ways to introduce people to God. But what we're going to hone in on on Susan and my friend Tom Shaw, who I used to serve as a pastor with in Canterbury, he went to uni as an atheist. He didn't believe in God, and yet he found himself haunted by this question. I have a great life, but if there really is a God, where can I know and find out about him? Maybe that's what's brought you here today. And there are many answers to the question of where you find God. So some people would say, obviously there's no God, so don't waste your time searching. Some people would say, it's kind of like an eternal search. There's a divine spark in you, and if you just keep open to God for the rest of your life, things will probably work out and you'll find out God in the end. Some people say that we never will know God, so there's no point trying. Others will say God's found in a holy place, Israel, Mecca. So if you go to the holy place, that's where God is. It's kind of an external search. Some people would say God is found in nature. And the Bible would say, have something to say about that. Yes, God can be seen in all of it. But Christians uniquely would say you don't find him in a place. You don't find him out there. Primarily you find him in the person of of Jesus. So some scriptures, just to set the scene for you. This series is all about Jesus. Welcome to church, as it should be. The place you find the revelation of who God is in Jesus. John 1 Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus reveals who God is. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's why we make much of Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, Jesus, show us the Father and it is enough for us. He was with Jesus and he hadn't, hadn't got it. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Maybe that's a word for someone today. Come to church a lot. And you, you still don't know Jesus and you're settling for it. Don't. You can meet him. Jesus goes on and says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He has been revealed in Jesus. 
But with Jesus, you've got a lot. I mean, you've got four Gospels as a starting point, haven't you? You've got his whole life with Jesus. Why the cross? I hear you say, why the cross? But what about his teachings? What about the miracles that Jesus did? Don't they reveal God? What about the kindness and his kind deeds? I mean, that's what non-Christians would still look at. The kind deeds and the teaching of Jesus as, as quite good. Why not those? Why the cross? Well, raw stats for you. In the Gospels, I mean, if you go to a celebrity's funeral, what do you celebrate at someone's funeral? It doesn't have to be a celebrity. Do you celebrate their death or their life? You generally celebrate their life because of their death. The Gospel turns everything on its head. There's something of the life of Jesus, but it all focuses on the, on the death of Jesus. It's almost like the Gospels are going through the life of Jesus. And when it comes to the last week, it slows down. <sighs> Zooms in. Google Maps, 3D. And there's great detail. And there's great information about the final days of Jesus. Matthew, 33% of the Gospel of Matthew focuses on the last days of Jesus. The cross, his death and resurrection. In Mark, 37%. Luke, 25%. And John, 42%. So the Gospels, the sheer weight of it says, well, let's go to the Bible to find out about Jesus. And it declares to you, look at his death and his resurrection. We've had some celebrities or well-known people recently die. Prince Philip, Desmond Tutu. Maybe the closest that comes to this is Sir Tom Moore, who in his latter days bought and everything about his life that most of us know as he raised funds for the NHS. But even that wasn't the end of his life. It was his latter days. The gospel is utterly unique and it focuses down on to the life of Jesus. Tony Evans says this, In Christianity, the cross is the main thing. What Jesus satisfied and gained at the cross is the main thing. Without it, there is no power, no freedom, no forgiveness, no authority, no strength, no victory, nothing at all. The cross is the main thing. So how is it that the main thing is in terms of the revelation of God? Now there are lots of other things. You need the Holy Spirit to make it the main thing. But I want to talk about three key things today. And there are much more we'll unpack through the series about how Jesus reveals something of God. Jesus reveals firstly the justice of God. Jesus' death on the cross. Can you say justice? So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 3.23. One of the good things about being a preacher is you always have to reckon with familiarity in your own heart. You think, I'm preaching the stuff for others, and then you learn, oh, actually, I need to preach it to myself first. Um, familiarity is, in one sense, it's a beautiful thing. You know, when you, when you live with someone, you become familiar with them. You understand their ways. But sometimes you can miss the wonder of what's right in front of you. And so just allow, if you think, oh, I know this, allow God to take it to a greater depth with you. Romans 3, verse 23 to 26 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There is so much in those verses. Propitiation. Do you know what that word means? I didn't ages ago. And then so that's where we'll talk about Jesus being a wrath bearer. 
Um, some versions don't use the word propitiation. It's helpful. It speaks about Jesus bearing the wrath of God, something that we will come to. But today, it's about God being the just and the justifier. He is perfect, just, morally blameless, and therefore he cannot tolerate, ignore our sin. So when you've become a Christian and you've trusted in Jesus, it's not that God ignores your sin. <laughs> I think we can subtly think that. Think, I've trusted in Jesus, God ignores my sin. It doesn't, no, that, that doesn't stand against you anymore. Hallelujah. But it's not because God ignores it. He can't. It's because Jesus has dealt with it. The cross shows the penalty of our sin to be death, but it also shows how much God hates sin. And, de- and he must deal with it justly. So you and I are sinners. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a sinner. That's it. Whoa, no, man. Let me correct that. You were a sinner if you're a Christian. Okay, you're a saint now. <laughs> Scrub the video. You are not a sinner. Say that if you're a Christian, you are not a sinner. It's not your identity, okay? Some of you are like, I'm never coming back again. He's talking about the cross and his... Okay. You were a sinner... And you do sin sometimes. Hallelujah. That's your identity of you as a Christian. Whether you feel it or not, that's the reality. Okay? You are a saint. So turn to the person and say, with confidence, you are a saint if you trust in Jesus. If you're a guest and you're not a Christian, I'm sorry if someone's called you a sinner. Um, But today, you can become a saint. Hallelujah. Um, Right. We'll scrub that from the video. Um, Thank you. He doesn't ignore it. Anyway, let's move on. God deals with sin justly in two ways. And, and there's a, this is where the sobriety of it is. So it's either my sin, it's either dealt with as I give it to Christ, he takes it, and he's judged. Or one day when I face God in judgment, I'm condemned to hell. Believing hell is a real place with real torment and suffering. God deals with all sin in one of two ways. Mine, taken by Christ on the cross, poured out upon him. Or one day when I face the judgment and I'm justly condemned to hell. Hell is not a popular topic anymore. Some would say we just get annihilated, it's the end of all things. Some would say, well, love wins, no one actually ends up going to hell. I I want you to see that justice is a beautiful thing. It's painful and it's hard, but it's a beautiful thing because it ensures that all evil in the world goes punished. If you look at the world now, there's evil, there's heartache. You look at the news, you go down a road, you see bodies littered everywhere. You think, there's evil and cruelty. Some of you have been deeply, deeply wronged, abused, raped, violated. In, in maybe less tangible ways. You have been deeply, deeply wronged. I have sinned. But amazingly, the justice of God makes sure that there is no wrong that doesn't face justice. See, we're happy for justice for others, but we want mercy for ourselves. And in Jesus, we get both. So when you forgive someone, you're not saying what they've done doesn't matter. You're saying, I've handed them over to the justice of God. I no longer hold it against them. But God will deal with it justly. They may trust in Jesus like you have and have their judgment poured out on Christ. That can be hard to reckon with sometimes. And they may not. 
Either way, justice will be met. No one wants to think that evil done against us is inconsequential. For if there is no true justice, it doesn't really matter what we do, does it? You know, I can walk over people my whole life. As long as I kind of escape some consequences in this life, it doesn't really matter. We all deeply long for justice. I know as a father, I can't... <laughs> with my children, I, I could say I love them, but when something happens against them, I, I want justice. <laughs> I truly want justice. We all long for it. In the Bible, there's some um, beautiful pictures, because the, the wonderful thing about the cross and about justice is this, is you can walk free and never have to look over your shoulder that it's going to catch up with you. Your sins are going to catch up with you. Because if God brushed it under the carpet, if God chose to ignore it, if God just pushed it aside, it can still come for you. Can't it? You think, oh, when will it catch up? When will... Whereas a Christian, you can look straight ahead and think Jesus has dealt with it. Once and for all. I mean, and tetelestai, he said on the cross. It is finished. So this is the thing about justice. It means you can walk free. If you think, why am I struggle to walk free? Maybe there's a, a lack of meditation on the justice of God. The wrath bearing of Jesus, which has dealt with it all. You don't have to look over your shoulder. And there's, a, there's this picture in the Old Testament which is helpful. So God's, God's people, Israel, were in captivity. And Pharaoh, you know the story. You've probably seen the DreamWorks movie. Uh, and, and, and they're released from Pharaoh, but he pursues them. They go through the Red Sea, and God closes the sea on them. And God's people go into the wilderness, heading towards the promised land. You vaguely know the story. What happens after about, I don't know how long it is, don't know the time frames. They start to grumble, and they want to go back to slavery, don't they? It's like, oh, we're, we're not in slavery, but do you know what? Life was predictable then. Let's go and eat some stew. Let's go, let's go and eat some stew. And what's happening there is their slavery is internal. Pharaoh's done. Pharaoh's drowned. He's gone. There is no slave master anymore. But they're living with an internal sense of slavery and looking over their shoulder and seeing this mirage of the slave master. And for us, we can look over our shoulder and think the sin is still hounding us, uh, the consequence of our sin. No, no, no. Justice means God has dealt with it. It's not there. It's been washed away. Hallelujah. Jesus is my cleanser. I'm excited to preach that on Easter Sunday when we baptize you. That's why baptism is wonderfully visual and pictorial, but powerful. Jesus is my cleanser. I better not preach that today. I want to. But that picture of Pharaoh, we live with this thing, isn't no. Justice means it has been dealt with one for all and it is gone. So if you're sitting there, and I don't know what you've done in your life. Welcome to the club. You've messed up. Okay? You've wronged God. You've sinned against God. It could have been last night. It could have been a few moments ago. You could be having a thought about me right now. I forgive you. Um, you can reckon it gone when you cry out to Jesus. It has no word to say to you anymore. Because all the word, all the wrath, all the judgment, all the justice was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. Hallelujah. So if you think justice is this theological thing, it is not. You will be free, more free to walk when you think, that stuff I did, the mess I made, it's been dealt with. And it empowers you to forgive. When you know that there will be justice, you can forgive. Because God will deal with injustice way better than you can. Bitterness, harboring unforgiveness, resentment, backbiting, talking, ignoring, that's not justice for the wrong done against you. That's just heaping up on ourselves. Awesome. Thank you. 
So right now, some of you, you need to forgive. And it's okay. Justice will be served. I don't say that lightly, because I know some stories. And I don't know many. Justice will be served. Hallelujah. And it's shown in Jesus, so that you might never forget, there is the cross. There is the grave. It's the empty tomb, which means that it's been dealt with fully. Secondly, though, it's not just justice. I think as we've shared about it, you begin to hear the echoes of the love of God. Can you say love? I don't think you can be truly just without being truly loving. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. How did God show his love? (laughs) But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed it in Christ, particularly dying for us. Ephesians 5, verse 2. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. John Stott would say, on the cross you see the demonstration of God's justice and the manifestation of his love. John 3.16, you know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 3, by this we know love. How how do you and I know love? (laughs) You know, is it the advert... Is it the movie? Is it the pictures? Is it the cards? Is it the nice words? This is how we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we also lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, we define love in flaky ways, don't we? Oh, I love him. I love him. He's amazing. And then you see him on the dance floor. I don't love him anymore. (laughs) Silly, but that's, just, that's how we do Oh, he's my everything. She's my everything. Oh, well, that's the kind of job you have. Oh. Yeah, we do, you know. Um, and, you know, we've all, we, will, we all fall short on this love. All of us. Some of you have fallen drastically short and it's caused havoc. Others have done it to you. Others of us, it's just we fall short. But this is true love. He laid down his life. Yeah. You need never be in doubt Never be in doubt. Now, you might, you might be a non-Christian or even a Christian. You're like, I'm not sure Jesus rose from the dead. I, I haven't met anyone who seriously doesn't think there was a guy called Jesus who lived a good life, said he was going to die, suffered and died on the cross. That's kind of pretty much historical fact. Whether he was the son of God and rose again is a different thing, but he still did it in the name of love. I mean, that's pretty amazing. For Christians, we know that wasn't the end of the, end of the story. John Piper says the measure of God's love for us is shown by two things. One is the degree of his sacrifice in saving us from the penalty of our sin. If you pass over the penalty of sin, you miss out on the depth of love. The other is the degree of unworthiness that we had when he saved us. (laughs) The extent of his suffering, the degree of unworthiness. Wow, (laughs) I'm loved. You wonder why Christians get excited about singing songs about loving Jesus in church. That's why. That is why. Now, we don't all show it in a different way. And if you feel uncomfortable saying, I love you, Jesus, I know what that's like. It was weird for me. I deliberately changed my vocabulary as a Christian to start expressing love and affection to Jesus. And it was weird. For me to say, I love you, Jesus. I cherish you. I delight in you. You're my everything. is normal now. Wonderful. But there was a time when family upbringing and other things, 
Just saying, I love you is a bit weird. I cherish you. I want to urge you, deliberately pursue affection language in your prayer with Jesus. Allow what is true that the Spirit's birthed in you to give birth to the reality that you experience every day. So when you feel on the outside, just begin. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Tell him and welcome him. Now all of this, I mean all of this is so much to say. This love of God on the cross shows that he is not a distant ruler or a cruel taskmaster or an impersonal force or a distant being. All of that, it abolishes this idea that this God is just some enlightened guru who once lived and is now dead. No, no, who said I love you. Or you can... No, he's a living God and he's shown his love to you. Many people say that love is the universal language. Have you heard that? I don't think it is. I think C.S. Lewis is right when he says that pain is the universal language. Because I'm not sure everyone's experienced love. But many people have experienced, everyone has experienced pain. So not only is this just an, this distant love, the, the love of God shown in Jesus on the cross means he speaks your language. God gets your pain. He does. So his love is not just, I want you to know that you are loved. He, he's experienced it and he's walked through it so that he wants you to know that what you've been through, he, he, he gets you and he gets your love in that. The cross reveals the justice of God and the love of God. And thirdly, and there is so much more, but we're going to finish with this. It reveals the living God. Can you say living? Romans 8.11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Romans 4, 24 to 25, righteousness. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who has delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You can't speak about the cross without the resurrection because it makes it all Real. He has triumphed over the, de- over the grave. Sin is the cause of death. Therefore, sin has the power to hold those who are sinners. <laughs> okay? That's why I changed it. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. <laughs> has the power to hold those who are sinners. Jesus dealt with it fully in his resurrection, showing victory, confirming everything that he said would be true, demonstrating that he is the living God, not a carved image. Not a dead wise man, not an enlightened and no longer alive guru, but God himself, the living God, the just God, the loving God. But did he rise, actually? <laughs> you say, well, hey, if you're a Christian, he has risen. So when people say to me, how do you know Jesus is alive? Well, there's, there's the theological answers, and then there's my personal answer. My personal answer is, I have met him. Can you say that? You say you've met Jesus. I have been comforted by him. I have been held by him. I have been helped by him. I have been spoken to by him. I've been filled with joy by him. I have been protected by him. And even in ways I don't understand. Have you met Jesus? And do you walk with him still? Holy Spirit, we want to meet Jesus. The joy. The one who died for my sin. Just say that to him. I want to meet you fresh, Jesus. Life is comfy. I want to meet you, Jesus. When my dad was drinking, my family fell apart. I was alone and fearful. 
Jesus met with me when I got baptized and came out and filled with life. Jesus filled me with joy. When I was on my knees saying, I'd have nothing to give, Lord, he met with me. So that would be my answer. How do I know Jesus is alive? I've shared this before. I, I used to work in a boarding school. I helped with the boarding duties. And uh, one of the other boarding masters, Nietzsche is dead, poster on his door. God is dead by Nietzsche. And we would debate late into the night about first causes and first causes of first causes and how the world came to be in creation. And he's an intellectual guy. I, can't, I, could, I could crib some notes. And I one day just said to him, I said, Simon, I don't think I'll ever be able to convince you that Jesus is alive, but I know him with all my heart and I long for you to meet with him. Made more impact in his life than most of the attempted apologetic stuff, although it's all good. But some other reasons you might believe that he actually rose. Number one, he predicted everything that would happen. And it actually happened. There's one thing to predict it, and it actually happened. If you query the Bible's historical reliability, I would humbly add that you need to query a lot of historical reliability of the historical books you read. Because their reliability is based on these criteria, and the Bible stacks up. It really does. Another reason to believe he rose, he appeared to people. Hundreds saw them with their own eyes. People worshipped him as God. So the day of worship moved from Saturday to, to Sunday. Dozens died in horrendous, gruesome ways because they would not deny that he had risen from the dead and they had met him. You don't make this stuff up. They would not die for a lie. Non-Christian historians wrote about it. Josephus said that he is a doer of wonderful works. There are billions of his followers around the world. These are old stats, but 16,000 daily coming to Christ in Africa. The Asian Times said in China, 10,000 people every day coming to Christ. This was years ago now. 30.6 million every year. 80,000 every day. I mean, those stats are old now. This is the real thing, brothers and sisters. Seeing the death and resurrection of Jesus, the revelation of God is just loving and alive. And so much more that we will unpack in the series. Let's just pause for a moment.